You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 343. I'm your host, Atiti, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> hey, Sir, hey, son. I wonder what this code speak is. I think Why do you do that, Ponto? <laughs> Ponto. I'm Ponto. Ponto. So the great thing is that we just spent the weekend together. Uh, that's uh, why... So Luna... Uh, learned how to well sort of learned how to say <laughs> our names <laughs> and that is what yeah. we're referring to but it, it was fantastic meeting you guys it's been s- since 1897 no it's been since 2018 <laughs> since the three of us were together and yeah. uh, it was yes uh, was the first time that i met luna exactly uh pontus actually your math is is incorrect is it because it was 2019 well you guys oh, yes because but i wasn't in ghent but we were the two of two of us were pontus you the and three, me. but i was talking about the three of us the three of us ah, okay. haven't been together ah, until, that's great yeah, so my math since, since qd yes yes so my QD math 18. is um, not flawless but it was correct this time <laughs> however my listening skills could be improved <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> if Andros can succeed with that <laughs> yes, yes, yes so yes it was so lovely to see you all yeah now I've got good news because I managed to stain all three of my very lovely ESP shirts and the good news are that they all are clean now because I washed them <laughs> <laughs> okay good yeah so for people who weren't there in Vienna we had our new t-shirts uh, printed and we wore them at all times just because yeah that's who we are <laughs> we just want to rub it in <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean vienna was fantastic i think all the speeches all the talks all the panels were great there are uh, certain practical things i think uh, that can be improved to next time but so we're making a, a list of you know lessons learned sheet is always something to do about making sure that people in wheelchairs can easily access the premise and things like that. People with toddlers, Annika, could have needed a little bit more help to be um, diplomatic. But uh, let's put that in a good spreadsheet and save that for next time. However, I have to say that it was the coolest thing ever to see a toddler among all those grown-up skeptics running around. She wasn't really disruptive, so... I don't think she was, no. But that helps you understand and appreciate the concept of indoctrination. Because <laughs> you, have to, you have to start early enough... <laughs> She's going to grow up a skeptic, that is for sure. <laughs> and she's already on Wikipedia, I saw. Is she? Because our listener, Pavel Schmeichel, who we also met yes. at okay. ESC, Hi, he already Pavel. uploaded a few photos, including one of the panel where Luna is sitting on my lap. Ooh. Quite impressive. She's already mm-hmm. on Wikipedia. Yeah, that's an achievement. Mm. <laughs> Not her own entry yet, but no. I'm sure that's coming <laughs> in a few weeks. I so, hope you're proud, mm-hmm. Susan, if you listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a lot of Italians, so you are going to be La Donna with child. Wait, it sounds like a religious <laughs> like Mary. thing, right? <laughs> sounds like Mary. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, and it was so lovely to meet all those people and meet new people as well. But to see the, all those familiar faces once again mm. after such a long time, a lot of them we met in Ghent 
sorry, in Ghent. <laughs> Is that how you say it? Something like so. that. Yeah. In Belgium in 2019 at the previous European Skeptics Congress. But still, it's three years have passed since then. Mm. Yeah. Remember that at QED 18, Brian Ego announced that they're expecting Ivy? And she's like, I don't know. She's, she's starting all college. grown up though. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Brian, actually, we uh, we should do a little bit of an announcement as well. I, we put it on the website, yes. but it was after we recorded the last show, so we didn't mention it. We are doing a live show at QED together with Brian and with Claire, mm -hmm. Claire Klingenberg. So uh, woo -woo -woo. this will be fantastic. It'll be great. So we're already looking forward to the next event. Mm -hmm. Where... I will personally be running around with a little notepad in my hand to jot down a couple of good ideas from an organizational point of view. Because European Skeptics Congress was co-organized by the local chapter of GVP and GVP and the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, EXO. And uh, this was a bit of an experiment that EXO got a little bit more involved than it usually does. So this is why we need to keep an eye out. And uh, yeah, any suggestions, ideas as to how the next one could be improved even further? Because I think it was a very good event. It's just, if, if we can make it even better, then let's do that. Those listening and who have been there and uh, could name a couple of things, just throw those ideas our way and uh, we will convey the message. Because two of us are still on the board. For that, we need... More ideas, suggestions. Yeah, we will try to use those. And one other thing happened over the weekend. Yeah. A very sad thing. Was not our fault, though. It wasn't no, our fault. No, but it still was, it was so a... weird. I felt a bit weird. I think that's the right word for that. <laughs> it was a bit surreal. While we were having our meetings, I think it was during the first night when the pop quiz was on. And I texted you guys. <laughs> and you texted us. And the rumor started spreading. I mean, it was about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, the yeah. British monarch. Not only the British monarch, but the monarch of 15 countries altogether around the world. For 70 years. For 70 years, exactly. That is quite remarkable. And even though I know for a fact that many of our listeners are Republicans among the British, they would like the monarchy to be abolished. And up until now, I didn't really agree with them but now that we have the <laughs> king of homeopathy on the throne king, king charles the third absolutely weird that man on the throne that has to be ridiculed the german equivalent of the onion actually posted that king charles would have retired now because he's already over 70 <laughs> yeah 73 so yes, they were like yes. no no he's too old now he's retiring <laughs> He's been waiting for this all his life. He's not going to yeah. abdicate the first thing he does. That's silly to expect. And if he lives long enough, if he lives as long as his mother did, his son will have to wait that equal amount of time for that. Charles will not reign for 70 years. I can assure you that that will not happen. No, but if he does for another 30, then uh, or if he approaches 100. So. You know, this is a guy who uses homeopathy when he's sick. So he will not last. Yeah, yeah, might not last that long. <laughs> okay. Well. Speaking of changes to leading countries, right? Mm -hmm. We had the Swedish elections this weekend. Oh, no. Ooh, yeah, yeah oh, you were no. talking oh, about no. that oh, last yes. week, yes. Yeah. So what happened? Well, it was an extremely close election. And it's not entirely over yet. I mean, the, the election is over, but they're still counting the votes. So the mm. Wednesday votes, they talk a lot about the Wednesday votes. They may change things. 
I don't think so. There's a slim chance. So I think we can say that the right-wing coalition, or whatever we should call it, won. And they will have 175 seats in the parliament versus the left-leaning coalition, which will have 174. So it's just one seat that is the difference. And uh, there are four parties who build up this so-called majority. It is the moderate party, <laughs> which used to be called the right-wing party, but they changed that a long, several decades ago because it sounded too provocative. So they are now the moderates. They are a traditional right-wing party, but they're fairly sensible, to be honest. For reference, they would be closer to the Democrats than the Republicans, in, if you compare it to the US. Not ultra-conservative, just a little bit conservative. Mm -hmm. So with them, we have the Liberal Party, which just a couple of months ago, were, they were expected maybe not to even make the cut, so they would be thrown out of the parliament. And then we have the Christian Democrats, and they're not so big either, but then the big news from this election is, of course, that the Sweden Democrats are now bigger even than the moderates. Now that, that is concerning. <laughs> Listeners of this show will know that I'm not a fan. Sweden Democrats were born out of a neo-Nazi organization in the 1990s. That's not that long ago. And even if they swear that they have left that behind them, every week there is a new scandal about a party member saying something very racist or anti-Semitic in public or sometimes when they think they're not in public. And they claim to have a zero tolerance for Nazism and racism. But come on, we know it's not the case. <laughs> so the expectations have always been, on behalf of the moderates, that the moderates will form the core of the government and the Sweden Democrats will be a silent partner. They will not be in the actual government. They won't be, there won't be any Sweden Democrat ministers. However, of course, after this result, we don't exactly know. It is very, very concerning. It will probably take a few months before they have a government formed. And no matter how you slice and dice this result, there's so many parties in the parliament that everything will be some sort of compromise or minority government, depending on support from some of the either very right-wing or very left parties. Looks like it's going to be the right. But to think that the Sweden Democrats is the second largest party in the country is... Um, heartbreaking to me it really it's is disturbing that's yes. very yes. disturbing the yeah. social democrats are still the they are still the largest party they have 108 seats out of the 349 in the parliament but it's one third yeah <laughs> it's one third yes so even with the center party and the left party we used to be the communists and the green party even with their support they, they still lack one seat to get the majority and, uh, well, you could be right or you could be left. Just having the moderate party being the ruling party wouldn't be a disaster, even for me, even, even if I lean a little bit more left. They're, they're sort of okay. They are not full of Nazis. But they will depend on the support of an even bigger party now, which is, in my view, and they cry, they are outraged if you say so, but to me... The core of the Sweden Democrats are very close to neo-Nazis. They, mm -hmm. they can deny that as much as they want to, but I don't trust them. I wouldn't trust them with the time of day. <laughs> Cheerful news! <laughs> yeah, yeah well, no, that's, not very good news. No. But that's politics for you. I mean, this is a skeptical podcast, so maybe we shouldn't talk too much politics. Yeah. All right, so um, let's move on. 
for the betterment of the world so that we help skeptics formulate their views and uh, provide you with a little ammunition. That's what we are here for. So let's start by uh, mentioning why this week in skeptical history is relevant. So, Twish. And when it comes to skepticism, of course, one of the most important things is the fact that science can re- reveal a couple of things, and the, the, the methods of science can reveal many things that uh, would otherwise stay hidden or unproven. So uh, I would like to celebrate the birthday of someone. It's not going to be until Sunday, the 18th of September. And on the 18th of September, 1819, French mathematician and physician astronomer was born by the name Jean-Bernard Léon Foucault. Mm-hmm. Does, there, does that name ring a bell? Yes. Was he the guy with the pendulum? Ah, he was a guy with a pendulum and many other things okay. as well. And like so, me, please. Uh, yeah, so so obvious, obviously the pendulum is what he's probably best known for. It's also called a Foucault pendulum. And the basic concept is that you hang a pendulum somewhere and the jolt that you use is loose enough so that it's free to move in any direction and it's heavy enough and it has a long arm and you start moving it and it will just hang there and do whatever a pendulum does. Back and forth, yes. <laughs> Go back and forth, exactly. It will keep its original trajectory. And that means that as the Earth turns underneath, it will remain in place, but the Earth underneath it turns. So if you keep track of where it lands at both ends, you will see that it has turned. And that was the first ever direct demonstration of the turning of the Earth. And uh, that happened in uh, 1851. That's pretty smart, actually, to prove that the Earth is. is actually rotating. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously we knew that Earth was rotating, but there was only indirect proof of that fact. And uh, now that is quite a direct thing, because by indirect I mean that the movement of the stars and the movement of the sun, but it's a relative movement. It's like a, it's just an apparent movement. It's not an actual movement. Have you ever seen one in real life? A Foucault pendulum? No, 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 no. I think I did. I have, but I can't remember now which city it was in. But I can tell you from personal anecdote that it actually works. Yeah. As the Earth is turning or rotating beneath you, the pendulum stays in one place, which makes it seem like the pendulum is actually moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for example, if you can use something that sprays paint out of the pendulum, you can actually make it visible on the floor that it has turned. That sounds messy. We didn't, well, we didn't do that. But in the example I saw, that wasn't the case. But there were clear markings so that you can see what was happening. It yeah, was yeah. great. It's a very, very clever idea. I, would I say. think that the thing I saw was one that had a bit of a pin in the, in like in the bottom and it was in sand. So you could still see this, the movement. Uh-huh. So why he is very relevant to the skeptical movement and everyone involved in uh, science communication is because he was not actually the first one to come up with that idea. So Vincenzo mm-hmm. Viviani did that before him, but he was the first one who devised an actual pendulum that could be shown to the public. So Foucault was the first one who did it in practice? In public. 
Oh, he, yeah. he made it public and he wanted to show the people how that can be done. And, well, what better place to find for that than the Pantheon in Paris? <laughs> so that was when he hung it up. That was a brilliant idea because that's a massive building. Huh. So, yeah, but he then devised uh, the gyroscope, which he coined the phrase for as well. And uh, he did a lot of experiments, including one of the first measurements of the speed of light. Well, he didn't do it on his own, but uh, as part of a science team the other thing is that he's all done that with no formal education whatsoever in his life hmm. so he was extremely curious he had a, a couple of uh, deficiencies that kept him away from people for a long time but then he realized how cool science was and he wanted to show that to the public and he came up with a lot of very very interesting ideas in that regard so uh yes i think he was a brilliant man by the way he was home tutored then he wanted to enter university and the reason why he couldn't do medicine is because uh, at the first time he saw blood he fainted and then he decided <laughs> it was not for him so he instead turns towards physics and uh smart move he really made his name known for the whole world he was one of the the predecessors of uh, field plate field plate uh, the bad astronomer he likes to say that he doesn't do squishy science <laughs> he only does <laughs> physics and astronomy kind of the attitude of jean bernard leon foucault who was born on the 18th of september 1890 so Let's celebrate his birthday and remember the great work that he has done. Happy birthday. <laughs> mm -hmm. 202 years old. That's pretty impressive. The cool number too. <laughs> or 203. Sorry, my math is off. 203 years old. That's right? not as good a number. <laughs> I told you your math was off. Oh, never mind. <laughs> okay, so with that, I'd like to find out if Pontus, you have something to poke the Pope for. Well, as we record this, Frankie is in Kazakhstan participating in the Congress of Leaders of World and Traditional Religions. I've spoken okay. about this before, so now he's there. But the only thing happening there is that he will not meet Kirill of the Russian Orthodox Church. <laughs> Kirill famously are, decided are they playing to playing hide and seek now? Yeah, yeah. Kirill decided to stay home, and uh, the general assumption is, even though we can't be sure, is that he did it because he wanted to avoid meeting Frankie. That is very much a non-event in my book, so I think we'll actually skip uh, Frankie this week and see next week if he mm -hmm. comes up with something more interesting. Okay, all right then. Thank you very much. And <laughs> that leaves us with the news. I've got news. I don't want to call them good because that would be a bit tactless. But Helmut Pilar died in um, Paraguay um, in the end of August. And he was someone that people that are very informed about pseudomedicine probably would know because he was a proponent of Germanische Heilkunde, New German Medicine, which is, yeah, of course, quackery, but also anti-Semitic. Hmm. He has spent many years of spreading this um, BS and he got famous because he had a daughter or has a daughter called Olivia and in 1995 she was five years old and had cancer and he brought her to a new German medicine inventor 
called Hama. Sorry, inventor? Yeah, because it's New Major Medicine. He, that, this thing is invented, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the, do they use that term? No, no, that this this term is from Ezzedernst. <laughs> ah, okay, yes. okay, okay. But he brought her to this Dr. Hama. Of course, this way, not giving her effective therapy. And eventually, Olivia was taken away from her parents, eventually operated against her parents' wishes, is now living in good health. The media got involved with the Olivia case. And there was a big hype around around her and her suffering. This guy slash douche sold photos of his daughter to newspapers, tried to influence the reporting in in his way and stuff. Both parents actually got sentenced eight months for probation. Wow. Whereas for Hama, the inventor of the NGM uh, therapy, it had no criminal consequences because he was working from Spain, outside of Austria and Germany. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and Helmut Pilar... Smart move. Yeah, exactly. And, and this guy, Helmut Pilar, had no medical qualifications. He was an electrical engineer from Austria and marketed this new German medicine full-time, gave lectures, organized seminars, and so on. And last, he was residing in Paraguay, where he did not have to witness chemtrails, to his own words. <laughs> they don't have airplanes in Paraguay? No, apparently no. not. Little known fact. <laughs> yeah, a joke that I wanted to share was by David B. And he said, he seems to not be a pillar of the medical community. Oh! <laughs> oh, no, no. So congrats on oh, that joke. Okay. <laughs> But what a story, you know, he's a quack guy and he doesn't want to give his daughter proper medication or medical treatment. So the authorities actually forcibly remove and save the life of that child. And she grows up to be, well, an adult, I hope. And now he does. Why did he? I mean, do you know why he died? Did he trust the new Germanic medicine too much? Or? It's not saying. I mean, he wasn't super old. He was... He was younger than me. Yeah, exactly. Come on, let's be <laughs> fair. He was very young. Yeah, he was born 65. No, that just means that he wasn't super old. <laughs> oh, <so>. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I said. He wasn't super old. He wasn't as old as the queen. But all we know is that he died. Yes. Okay, all right. So... Let's not dwell into that. But, okay, speaking, you mentioned the Queen, and we've mentioned the Queen several times already. The Queen died. And this created a lot of sorrow, a lot of celebration, well, celebrating her life as a monarch, etc. No matter what you think about monarchy, she was an important figure in many people's lives. So I, I understand that this is a big thing. But it also means that it creates a lot of fake things and crazy reactions online and actually in real life as well. So first of all, even before we knew that she was actually dead, and probably before she was dead, there was a huge number of fake announcements that she was dead, following the news that the doctors were concerned for her health. A lot of people or bots or scam people online were out there claiming that she really was dead before it happened. There were new and fake Twitter accounts created, trying to look like the BBC using their logos, etc. Also, older accounts, established Twitter accounts, suddenly renamed themselves and changed their logo just to get a lot of attention. 
And they were all saying that she had died, which she of course did later on, but this was before the fact. So that was one thing. You can trust the internet to exploit these kinds of happenings. Yeah. This is one of those things when you say it enough times, sooner or later you're going to be right. I'll come back to that. (laughs) (laughs) Put a pin in that. If you go really back in time, there was Nostradamus. You all heard of Mm. him, of course. He was living in the 1500s. And somebody found one quote from him. Because you can always find a quote from Nostradamus. So in this particular quote, in some sort of English, I know he didn't write it in English, so the translation may have lost a few nuances. But this is one translation into English. It is a quote, The sudden death of the first person will have changed the form of government and put another in power. End quote. Mm. that's not very specific interesting it could be anybody it doesn't say who and when which country no nothing also if you then look what follows that quote in Nostradamus's writings it says quote sooner or later he will have risen to such position of power speaking of the new prince or whatever prince charles in this case if we think it is sooner or later he will have risen to such a position of power and at a young age, that it will be necessary to fear him on land and sea. You can say a lot of things about Charles, but he's not young. He's 73 <laughs> years old. <laughs> and he's not fearful whatsoever. Well, I'm a bit <laughs> scared every time he opens his mouth, but that's a another <laughs> thing. <laughs> nee. So that's Nostradamus. That was a long time ago. He didn't have a clue, apparently. But what did modern seers say about this? Our friend... Richard Saunders of the Australian Skeptics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has looked (laughs) extensively into predictions of astrologers and diviners of all kinds in his Great Australian Psychic Prediction Project. So there was thousands of thousands of predictions over 20 years, and he and his team has gone through all of them, classified them into... He even let me sit in on one of all the hundreds of meetings uh, there, but I, I take no credit for this. They did a great job there. And he looked into this now. Okay, what was predicted about the Queen? And according to him and his research, or rather according to the psychics in his research, the Queen was supposed to either die or abdicate in 2004, 2010, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2018, 2019, 2020, and in 2025. Strangely, not in 2022. No, they just gave up. They just gave up. It's like, oh no, she's refusing to die now. (laughs) So, So that's pretty funny. It tells you something about how accurate these um, predictions are. <laughs> we just mention every year, except for a few, and then we try to we, we just claim that it's true. Yeah, but then we have also a couple of stories from real life, not not just online things. So the first one that I thought was pretty, I don't know if it's endearing or just stupid, but somewhere in between, if you can find that on a scale. The royal beekeeper had a special duty now that the queen had died, and that was to inform the hive that their master had died. So, actually, it's probably more than one hive, or more like a hive mind, I don't know. But he had to go and knock on all the beehives and tell the poor bees that, I'm very sorry, the queen has died, but we will have a new monarch soon and he will take good care of you. That is somebody's job. To do that, but but be careful. Be, be careful. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
be careful because if you say to a hive the queen has died that could mean a whole different thing to them it's a catastrophe <laughs> so don't do that that's right i hope it was very clear in what queen it <laughs> yeah, was well, mentioning yeah drones and queens both mean different things in human world <laughs> yeah yeah, right. yeah 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 i'm sure there was a big boss about it yes <laughs> Then there was actually some real magic in the world when the queen died. There was a real magic because there was a double rainbow over Buckingham Palace while concerned people were gathering there to wait for the news. Yeah, yeah. We have to admit that must have been a miracle because it's true, it's documented and it happened. So... Well, yeah. it, we know for a fact that it doesn't happen in a country where every other day it's supposed to be raining. So, yeah, <laughs> a double rainbow is an unusual phenomenon there. Actually, the last time I was in uh, Windsor, I saw a double rainbow. So I'm touched. Who had died? I don't know. The no. double rainbow had died. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's move on. So, yeah, staying in the UK... I think we need to talk about this because it's a very good example of, first of all, how someone with a celebrity status in society uh, needs to be very careful as to what ideas and what pieces of information they spread. Because people will listen to you. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Hmm. So one of those people is uh, comedian Russell Brand. Do you know him? I know the guy. I wonder, have we ever talked about him? And if not, why? Because he's a real, uh, well, piece of work. Yeah, so he is, yeah, I'm pretty sure he he can have weird guru-like ideas from time to time. But this time he went into something that he doesn't have a clue about, that is uh, medicine. He claimed, day before this announcement was made, that the National Institute of Health, which is the healthcare service of uh, the United States, added ivermectin to the list of COVID treatments. And not only that is completely untrue, he spread it on his social media accounts and it got deleted from Facebook, but it's uh, still available on YouTube and TikTok, which means that a lot of people are still watching it. Now, because he got a lot of heat for that statement, for it not being true, obviously, he Mm. released a new video. And in that video, he starts out by, I made a mistake, so I'm not perfect. Sorry about that. Well, that's that's good. So far, I like it's it. It's very commendable. I think he did the right thing about that. Mm-hmm. He did it. He went through details. So he actually started to go into details about where and how he got it wrong. He did say that specifically as well, but I agree with him that this is very important for the reason that we need to let celebrities know that admitting you've been wrong is the right thing to do. And then correcting your mistake is another step towards the right direction. I mean, next time, it's better to not commit that in the first place. So (laughs) try to be thorough when you research your material first, and then you don't have to do the afterwork. But uh, yeah, I think he needs to be applauded for that even though I'm not particularly fond of the guy himself. (laughs) No, me neither. But you're right. (laughs) Credit where credit is due. Admitting that you're wrong is a good thing. Yeah, and admitting that you're wrong is something a lot of politicians should do because they don't (laughs) care about climate change. And I want to talk about climate change again. Or as some people want to call it, the climate crisis, because it's not only a change. It's uh, much worse than that. 
Yeah. And we have it now official that this summer again shattered records, which will happen year after year after year from now on. This summer, yes, was the hottest on record in Europe. That's down to the data from EU satellites. So the Copernicus Climate Change Service said the data showed that August in Europe was the warmest on record by a substantial margin. So not not only like a tiny bit warmer. <laughs> and August was also the third warmest yet recorded. I, I think it doesn't surprise us that that was the case because except for maybe Sweden Pontus... <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was very, very hot in Europe. Yeah, I don't know about. I don't. I haven't seen the actual statistics for Sweden, and maybe it was hotter than I felt. But anecdotally, I thought it was sort of meh. But that's not <laughs> a very um, good uh, <laughs> way of looking at things. But first of all, if it's an anecdote, and second of all, we don't want uh, world to be hotter. Pontus claims summer was meh. <laughs> That's right. a newspaper headline. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, but to, to be serious, August was actually 0. 0.8 degrees warmer than the same month in 18, in 2018. So we can see that it is heating up. And it also paired with dry conditions. So we had a lot of droughts. We had fire dangers. And it just wasn't nice at all. In UK... They had a temperature of 40.3 degrees, which is a new record. You can see these extremes all over Europe, but all, all, all over the world. Yeah. We experienced one of the worst drought conditions of the last 500 years. And you can also see that, for example, in Pakistan or yeah. in Sweden or in other parts of the world, that where it wasn't hot, it was wet. Mm. And that also comes to the climate change. You can see with the satellite data that part of Scandinavia and also south southeastern Europe, there was a big storm that brought winds and rain. So that all is part of climate change and it will only get worse if, if we don't do something basically yesterday. Yeah, it's very disturbing. Very uh, mm. motivating and uh, cheerful. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Speaking about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or not. We're all hearing that the wind may have changed in Ukraine. A little bit forced uh, segue there. But Russia is reportedly almost on the run from Ukraine due to the counterattacks. Although we should be very careful with accepting news that tell us things that we want to hear. It is not over until it's over, folks. But there is more good news than that. Russia's propaganda war is in trouble too. Some sources say that over 600,000 websites are currently being blocked by Russia and also by Belarus to stop real information to come out. But the internet is fighting back. So first there's one story of a Belarusian lifestyle publication that I have had never heard of before, but it's called KYKY. They started, when they got blocked by the authorities, they started to create new URLs faster than the authorities could block them. So they, they just crazily created new and actually some funny URLs for people to follow instead. And then after a week, they got blocked and then they changed to another one. Eventually, though, they ran out of URLs. It's, it's not so easy, I think, to, to, to invent new ones all the time. But in the meanwhile, they did keep a lot of information open to the public. But now there is something that's even better. 
This is a service called samistat.online. Yeah, pardon my Russian. I don't speak Russian. But samistat translates to something like self-publication in Russian. And it was the name of an old form of dissent activity across the Eastern Bloc, in which uh, individuals reproduced censored and underground publications, sometimes even by hand, and it was passed around one document from one reader to another. That, that takes a lot of time, of course. But the new Samizdat Online is very clever. And this is going to be a little bit technical, and I don't understand it, but I think I get the gist of it, and so just bear with me. The blocking of URLs by these authorities is done by DNS blocking. So what is that? Well, DNS is internet speech for domain name system which is the system in the background looking up the technical identity of the URL. So when you type in theesp.eu, and you should, the DNS server looks up that name in a table and directs you to the actual website. I, I guess it's the IP address or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's the, the process. It, it's built on the name of the website. But the brilliant thing with Samizdat.online is, and I quote from the article, Samizdat.online works by syndicating stories from new websites to new domains. We create and register these random-looking domains in large numbers, Simkin says, and Simkin is a, a guy who is the spokesperson for this thing. Samizdat.online calls them SOS links. So the organization has a permission from more than a dozen blocked publications in Russia and Belarus to syndicate their content. So they're allowed to put their articles on this other site. But every time you access the website of, let's say, the Moscow Times using Samistat Online, it will show that on a different domain. So the domains are constantly shifting around, but there's no technical knowledge required from the user. And since the URL changes all the time, the authorities cannot block all of them. I don't know exactly what a user needs to do to use this service, but you don't have to have a VPN or any technical stuff or knowledge to use it. So it, it seems very clever. And that way, real information can reach people even in Russia and Belarus. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a good effort. Okay, so and speaking of good efforts, a good effort has to be made that whenever you publish any kind of behavioral science uh, material, you got your sampling right. Not only with behavioral science, but this is the next thing that I'd like to report on. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther, Universitat Halle Wittenberg, they have a research team that uh, put together a protocol for testing whether there is actually any merit to those behavioral science papers that use students to mm. test their ideas. So we've heard that in the skeptical community, it's often brought up that most of what we know from behavioral science is the behavior of university students, because it's <laughs> the easiest to recruit them for any kind of uh, experiment and survey. Obviously, the financial incentive is very appealing to them. Yeah, university students always need a little bit more money yeah, and if they don't volunteer, they won't get their grades. Yeah, 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 that kind of uh, incentives as well. So um, they found 300 test subjects and compared university students who are doing studies in agricultural science and farmers who are doing the actual work. 
And apart from a couple of things that were very similar, most of the results of their experiments showed that there is a massive difference between these university students studying agriculture and those people who are actually in agriculture doing the actual work. Who would have thought? Yeah. Now, but the the funny thing is that this is one of the very few experiments of one of the few very few papers that were actually looking into that problem. The problem that we have already known about for a long, long time, but not many scientists, not many researchers address that problem. So I think it's a good find, and we need to take that into account whenever we want to draw any kind of conclusion from any kind of research into behavioral science. That and and please try not to be that lazy and try to try to recruit others than university students who will think about the fact that they are not completely aware of what challenges the world may pose to them. (laughs) So the line of thought that leads to a certain decision and a certain answer might be completely different from someone who's been out working their asses off for years and years and years. There's nothing wrong with students, but they're just not representative of everybody on the planet. Exactly. So then you have to interpret the results as the results for the sample of university students. So uh, just for everyone to understand, it included a couple of uh, individual decision-making processes that were tested for. Hmm. So uh, what are your decisions based on when it comes to financial decisions, when it comes to risk-taking especially? That is interesting. I Mm -hmm. think it's a very interesting find. Yeah, it is. Speaking of problematic research, do you remember (laughs) Didier Raoul? Yes. Yes. We have talked about him before. Uh, Last year, Raoul, who is a microbiologist at the Hospital Institute of Marseille, Mm -hmm. he uh, popularized the misconception that the anti-malarian drug hydroxychloroquine is a good COVID-19 treatment. We all remember Mm -hmm. that. We all remember yeah. a famous president who thought so too. Well, that's famous another story. President. Mm. Mm. Yeah, former <laughs> president. The F Potus, yes. I understand you call him now. But we all remember that. And then, of course, one of our heroes, Elizabeth Bick, who won the last year's Occam's Award, highlighted some very serious concerns about Rowell's research papers, after which he, well, I should say allegedly, harassed her and also filed a complaint. And that's not uh, allegedly. He did file a complaint with the French prosecution against Bic because he says that she harassed him by pointing out that he had done some faulty research or questionable research. I, I don't know what happened with this uh, complaint. It seems to have been dismissed by the authorities and that's that's very good. But now, Raoul is under criminal investigation himself regarding a growing number of research papers that he has published. It's currently six papers, but the number seems to be growing. This move follows the release last month of a 157-page report by investigators related to France Health Ministry into uh, Raoul's research. So they, the, the authorities are looking into this. It's one thing to do poor and sloppy research, but when it attracts legal attention from the prosecution, it's uh, on another level. I I don't know exactly what triggered the criminal investigation, but I'm thinking it's probably about falsification of records and fraud. But that's just my speculation. We will see what comes out of it. But he seems to 
seems to be in trouble and uh, I think it is a good thing that he is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's not very nice to say that, but we can <laughs> we can still think it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. And with the news over, let's find out who's been really wrong lately. Yeah, um, I mean, there were so many people really wrong that I just chose something that they're maybe not the worst really wrongs that I've ever given out or Pontus gave out, but still pretty, <laughs> really bad. Pretty wrong, mm, yeah. Pretty wrong, because government decided to think, at least think about abolishing the obligatory masks in airlines, in German airlines. As we know, that's pretty unsmart in a pandemic situation, <laughs> especially because our health minister, Karl Lauterbach, said vaccination and masks will still be the best protection against the expected Omicron wave. Mm. Please use both. In doctor's practices, you should still wear masks and with vulnerable people in, in um, elderly homes and in trains, in long-distance trains. But apparently not in German airlines anymore. According to Tagesschau, which is a German news outlet, it's apparently down to pressure of the liberals that they want to stop wearing masks in German airlines. And we know that that's especially in airlines, especially in planes, because they recycle all the air, <laughs> because they can't take air from the outside, obviously. Yeah, that's a bad idea. And thus, for making that decision in a pandemic situation that is not gone, we're still in a pandemic, people. And for that decision, the FDP, but also the whole government of Germany receive this week's prize for being really wrong. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. FDP, mm -hmm. that's the party. What does it translate to? They... Well, it stands for the Freie Demokratische Partei, Free Democratic Party, and they are, mm. um, yeah, liberal, a liberal party. Liberal party. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, these things should not be decided by politicians yeah. or airlines. Exactly. We should l listen to scientists about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we should probably do that in most of the things that we deal with. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> Follow the science. <laughs> science knows better. Okay, so uh, thank you very much. And thank you. <laughs> before we leave, we need a quote. This time I'm going to take over because I'm delivering the quote from a personal experience of mine. <laughs> and that comes from the European Skeptics Congress in Vienna, where at uh, one of the lunch breaks, I joined the Italian gang and we ended up having a very nice chat with Massimo Piliucci. And for those of you who don't know him, he's a professor of um, philosophy. I think many skeptics would know his name. And uh, we were talking about how science works and if there is such a thing as the scientific method, which he says he, uh, there isn't. Ooh. Yeah, we, we, we said a couple of things. And then he said something that we all ended up being very amused by, but it made a lot of sense. And that will be the quote of today with Massimo Piliucci's approval. So I did ask him about that. <laughs> okay, very good. So the quote he gave me was... You make up shit as you go, and then some shit sticks, and some stinks. Awesome. <laughs> Was that his description of the scientific method? Yes, if how science works. Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> Such okay. a good quote. I want a t-shirt with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Good. And by the way, he said yes to an invitation to um, interview on the podcast. So stay tuned, people. We will hold him to it and see if he still agrees with this quote uh, after a couple <laughs> of weeks. Yes, We will definitely ask him about that. Hmm. But with all that, I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontius, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, many thanks to our listeners as well. And special thanks to those who came up to us at the European Skeptics Congress. Please, if you are there at QED as well, please do that too. And you can listen to us on the live recording as well. <laughs> we do encourage everyone to come and uh, approach us. Yes. But uh, I think this is the time to conclude the show. So thank you very much again to everyone. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hey, do. Mislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. <laughs> Pig monks. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're better pigs than I am. I can be a pig. <laughs> Are my co-hosts? Oh, I wanted to. I wanted to do something. <laughs> like remember no, no. what we are called. Wait, wait a second. Wait okay. a second. Okay. Last, he was residing in Paraguay, um, where he. Sorry, sorry. Can you say Paraguay again? You said Paraguay. Okay. <laughs> and last, he resided in Paraguay. Paraguay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How is it pronounced in English? Paraguay? And um oh, Don't do that. Am it's I... very hard yes. to edit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh hi Luna. Luna Vestas. <laughs> I'm afraid Mama will will need the microphone. Ponto. Genau, Pontus. Und wer ist das? Ponto. Werk mal Andras. <laughs> yes, you, put both. Yeah. you can put it that's in if me. you want to. That's great. Now we've got a yes. few more pontuses. <laughs> and I have to run, guys. Okay. We did. Thank you. We didn't mention the Patreon content that we may release in the future, but we'll let's do it next time.